Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hi, and welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is a show for entrepreneurs and for small businesses the people that will grow the economy, create more jobs, and change our economic fortunes. You are the people who will kickstart the economic recovery and build high-paying, high-skilled jobs that are suitable for the 21st century. Phew, it's hot, isn't it? We've been sweltering in LA the last few days. It has just been roasting, but it will soon come to an end, I guess. Now, those of you who have listened to the show regularly over the past while know that I passionately promote the cause of the entrepreneur. There's no question that we have a two-speed economy, and understanding the two-speed economy is pretty easy, really. People with 21st century jobs who are technologically literate are doing well. The overwhelming percentage of people who are unemployed had 20th century jobs, And, you know, make no mistake, those jobs are gone forever. No matter what any of the politicians say about solving this problem overnight. There's no quick fix in hiring the 17 million people that are out of work. The key is retraining. And uh, this is a job for both the private and the public sectors. We shouldn't expect government to do it all. And we certainly can't expect private industry to do it all. Now, we've talked over the last few weeks about uh, giving entrepreneurs some financial assistance. But the fact that 97% of all businesses go out of business in the first 10 years is an appalling statistic that doesn't help either the economy or unemployment. We need to develop mentor programs where successful people assist entrepreneurs in their businesses. So I urge you, no matter where you are in the world, to join a business or entrepreneurs group. Share your expertise. Share your contacts. Share your facilities. And help each other be successful. Use these companies when you need work done. So keep the currency among people that you're trying to help. And I was in Barnes & Noble the other day, and the number of business books on the shelves, including mine, is astounding. There are dozens of books analysing every minute detail of every aspect of doing business. However, when you look at business, there are a number of simple rules that can make your business successful. And I thought I'd touch on one of these today, and we hear about it all the time. Customer service. Now, unless your business is a total monopoly, you're in competition with other businesses for your the consumer's dollar. And many businesses forget that their competition is not necessarily in the same business as they are. For example, competition to a movie theatre is not another movie theatre, but includes games, theme parks, DVD rentals, television. In fact, anything that can attract the leisure element of the customer's disposable income. 
and each of you is trying to get a customer to spend his hard-earned cash with you and not with a competitor. In order to achieve this, you and all of your competitors create positionings and a marketing strategy and an advertising strategy that you think will work for you. Now, you use this campaign to gain competitive advantage and get the target audience to buy from you. So what strategies are you using to gain this competitive advantage? Are you offering products that are totally unique and not available from any competitors? If that's the case, (laughs) that's fantastic, but it's extremely rare. And when the solution the customer seeks can't be achieved by a number of other um, different solutions apart from your product, it really is rare. Now, many businesses try to gain a competitive advantage through aggressive pricing. But a recent study by Citibank showed that the majority of companies who discount go out of business. This can be an effective strategy if the discount's just a loss leader and you know, you've got a whole bunch of other high-profit products that you can sell people. But discounting reduces profits and reduces competitiveness. More importantly, it erodes brand equity the most important asset that any company possesses. Effective marketing strategies offer good value to the customer while protecting margins. Now, when it comes to competitive advantage, the most important tool you have is great customer service. PricewaterhouseCoopers studies show that great customer service is four times more important to the growth of a company to its return on investment and to its customer loyalty than any other factor. It's four times more important than advertising and promotion. And it's a hell of a lot cheaper. So how's your customer service? Do you have satisfied customers? Most companies that I talk to say yes to that question. Well, guess what? 90% of your competitors also have satisfied customers. It doesn't mean a damn. It's not worth anything. So the key is not satisfying customers with good customer service. It is absolutely knocking their socks off with extraordinary customer service. They're going to walk away from doing business with you going, wow, how bloody good was that? That was sensational. I got great information. I got great service. They're going to follow me up in a week. You know, I got a hot cup of coffee. I mean, all of that creates raving fans and advocates who are going to promote your company at every opportunity. So what's the difference between a satisfied customer and somebody who goes out absolutely raving about you? Nearly every business has got satisfied customers. But how many of them have advocates that go sprouting about you every chance they get? Creating raving fans involves knocking their socks off at every interaction point between the company and the customer. When we consult with the company, we determine every touch point 
with the customer. So we'll go into a company and we'll say to them, make a list of every single touch point that you have with your customers. And most people name three or four. But when you actually look at how many there are, there's actually a lot. And most companies are really surprised at how many there are. This list includes phone calls, people that come into the office, sales staff, delivery personnel, service teams, all financial interactions, the ease of navigation on your website, emails, follow-ups, and a whole bunch of other things depending on the business. We then go about making every one of those interactions a wow for the customer. Then you start to look at all the other areas that can make a difference. Things like parking access, the aesthetics of the store or the office, music, lighting, product displays, aisle widths, training of staff, and a whole bunch of things that I just can't think of off the top of my head. But they all make a big difference. It is a major, all-encompassing program when you're giving great customer service. Not simply, hi, how are you? Do you want fries with that? That's not what it's about. And it's all of those small details that can turn a satisfied customer into an absolute raving advocate for your business. Because our customers talk to a hell of a lot of people, and if they're singing your praises, they're constantly developing your database. Now, there's another group of people who speak to as many people as, as your good customers and are an equally powerful audience. This group are your employees. After all, they're the ones who interface with your customers on a daily basis and who deliver customer service. They also control the quality of the products and the services that you sell. So if your employees don't like you, your product, or the way you do business, this becomes obvious to everyone they come in contact with, and it's only a matter of time before your business goes down the toilet. So how do you create raving fans out of your employees? So let's just think for a minute about what an employee wants. So what what do you want if you're an employee? You'd want to feel important. You want to know that you matter. So you need to involve them in the decision-making process. Seek their opinion and consider it. Every time you make decisions and implement changes. Now, you treat the people you like very differently from the people that you don't like. So when you like someone, you take an interest in them. You build a relationship with them and you care about them. Employees who are treated this way, well, they have a real sense of loyalty and commitment to the business, to you and to your customers. Employees want to feel valued and appreciated. So praise your staff openly when they do a good job. You know, they're not always going to be perfect, but if they give it their best, reward them with recognition. 
so that they know that you do value them and appreciate them. Employees want a future. So as an employer, you need to encourage and help develop that future. This includes education, staff, training, diversifying their roles, and giving them roles that will improve their skill sets. This is a, it's a great motivator for staff, and it encourages company loyalty. You inspire your staff to greatness through positive coaching and by continually telling them that the reason you are successful is because of the outstanding job they're doing and the great service they're giving to the customers. You know, attracting customers to your business through some clever marketing deal may be a first step, but the step that ensures that they return over and over again don't question your price points and buy more and more products each time. That comes down to your staff. So take time to sit down with employees and discuss your customer satisfaction surveys. Tell them what's good. Tell them what's bad. Discuss solutions to negative comments and celebrate winning comments. So... I was listening to a debate also about outsourcing the other day and it occurred to me that we only hear about it in the context of larger companies. Small businesses also frequently need help with small projects that may not require and probably don't require a full-time employee. There are now a number of websites that can help you get the temporary help that you need to move your business forward. You know, I frequently use Elance for a number of projects for both myself and my clients. It's not only Elance, there's Guru, Odesk, VWorker, Freelancer.com. There's a bunch of them and they all provide fantastic services. So if you've got a job that can be farmed out, go online, find the right candidate and give them a thorough brief. You'll be surprised at both the high quality of work and usually extremely realistic pricing. So why do companies fail? Well, 90%, 7% of companies go broke within 10 years, not because of the product and not because of lack of money, but because they fail in the areas of leadership, management, human resources, marketing, finance, operations and sales. So if you've got entrepreneurs around you and you have expertise in any of those areas, go in and give them a hand. Help them out. It's very rewarding for you. And, of course, it's of great benefit to them. So don't forget to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Tweet me at the Bob Pritchard. Join me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Google+. Contact me any way that takes your fancy. Just don't ignore me. I'm Bob Pritchard, and I will be back in just a moment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is a segment of the show where we interview people who have done something really special and have achieved great success doing it. My guest today is a high school basketball coach who gives leadership workshops across the country and is also a best-selling author. Now, there are a hell of a lot of high school basketball coaches around, but very few, if any, I suspect, have appeared on Oprah, the Jim Rome Show, and dozens of other national television and radio programs. And even fewer, I suspect, who have been invited to meet with President Bush and Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Jim Johnson is an authority on realising your dreams. He has a history of taking over losing varsity programs and turning them into winners. Jim has over 335 career victories. So... What makes Jim so special? Well, on February 15, 2006, Coach Johnson inserted Jason McElwain, who was autistic, into the Greece-Athena High School final home game. The Trojans won the game, and J-Mac, as Jason became known across America, scored 20 points in just four minutes, including six three-point baskets, and he became a national celebrity. Hollywood came calling... And J-Mac and, and Coach Johnson's life was changed forever. It's interesting because um, even Magic Johnson visited the school. J-Mac's moment won the ESPY for Best Sports Moment on ESPN. Coach Johnson was named Coach of the Year, and he was also presented with the National Sponsor- Sportsmanship Award. That's a, hell of a, that's a hell of a lot in one short year. Jim is a specialist in the essence of teamwork and the ultimate level of sportsmanship. Jim likes to point out that J-Mac's big night was made possible by his unselfish teammates who kept passing them the ball. The game video captures Athena bench players going just as wild as the crowd with every J-Mac basket. That must have been a hell of a moment. I love this story. And I'm pleased to have Jim on the show. Hi, Jim. Fantastic to speak with you on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Thanks, Bob. It's great to be with you. Mate, 
J-Mac, um, even if his teammates did pass him the ball a lot, he must have be, be pretty good to be able to sink six baskets, um, six three-point baskets. I mean, he, he must have been okay. Yeah, he uh, he was a pretty good shooter, but he says he was said uh, he he never shot like that uh, in a game, and uh, it was uh, one of those. It was interesting because J Mac has autism, and I think his autism, in some small way, actually helped him because he stayed focused. Because his first shot he missed by quite a distance; it was an air ball, but it it never phased him. And then when he finally made his third shot, after that he just got as he says hot as a pistol, and uh, as I did when I. When I speak around the country about it, is that uh, he turned into Michael Jordan for about three minutes and just started making shot after shot like there was no tomorrow. It was, it was really special. So, why did you put it? Why did you put him on? The whole uh, premise of it, Bob, was that uh, Jay Mack was such a big part of our program, and he had tried out for the team for three consecutive years and did not make the team, but served as team manager for all three seasons and two the last two with me on the varsity. And he was so loyal and committed, and he um, had did all our stuff in the off season. So I wanted to give him a, an opportunity to have his dream come true, and that opportunity was to be able to suit him up in our final home game, which we call Senior Night. And, you know, that way he got a chance to, to uh, embrace his parents in uniform instead of his normal shirt and tie and team manager role. Uh, so it was a way that I could give back for all that he gave to our program. Uh, and uh, certainly the, from a coaching perspective, my most special night I've ever had in, in coaching. Yeah, I think that line he turned into Michael Jordan for three minutes. That's, <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. I just love it. So why do you coach high school basketball? To make a difference. I, I think it's, uh, I love basketball and it's one of my major passions and it was a great way that I can reach young people because uh, many of them love the game and uh, you can teach so many lessons from coaching and uh, that's what I try to do every single day I'm with my um, players is to try to make an impact and uh, you know our, our philosophy is uh, to be winners on and off the court so it's just as important that, uh, that they are, they're good citizens and good people and, you know, as well as uh, trying to be good basketball players. So how similar is your... Um coaching philosophy to your business philosophy very similar uh you know i think I, i've studied leadership for many many years and uh and i think the the big thing is is uh, number one is you have to lead by example uh number two sure. that you got to show your people that you care uh and that you're going to invest time with them and the other thing that I, i've really grown in my leadership style is to become a better listener and to get feedback constantly uh and and i think uh, going back to your lead by example is i think you're always trying to help the people you work with grow and to do that you have to grow as a person yeah there's no question that listening is critical and it's the one thing that most people who aspire to be leaders don't do because they feel that um you know they're, they're supposed to be leaders so they they should be dominating the conversation unfortunately Absolutely, and uh, that, that's one of my biggest evolutions. I, I think when I learned that and turned the switch into uh, really a service mode in the fact that I was trying to help players and listen to them and you know fulfill their needs, that's when I think I uh, you know developed to be even a better coach. How much of when you're coaching players? How much of um, your coaching 
is about non-playing stuff, is about coaching people, the kids in, in life and, and just giving them um, guidance off the field. Is that a- quite a bit. Uh, like we, we have uh, one of the things I've started and done for quite a while is that we have a uh, theme of the week where we talk about uh, some life principle like uh, commitment or uh, dedication or attitude. And every day we'll uh, ingrain that in them. We always start practice with a quote. And then uh, we always close and we, you know, we, uh, one of the things that I'm doing a lot is uh, that I, I get feedback from the players. What you think of today's practice? Uh, and also, uh, one of the best things I did uh, is I started doing what we call a captain's meeting. So uh, the players uh, most of the time choose our captains, and I would meet with them right. a minimum once a week and getting feedback. Of, and the first question I always ask them is, how is our chemistry? How is everything going? And what's the attitude of the team? And, and they're pretty forthright with me, and that's very helpful in helping me plan uh, for the next day and the next week as we get ready for our next uh, game. Yeah, I, I think watching the um, women gymnasts this week at the Olympics, one of the things that struck me was their close camaraderie and, and the support they give each other, and yet individually extremely competitive and all wanting to win that same gold medal, and yet uh, they seem to have a fantastic support mechanism. And that's that's critical in leadership, isn't it? It absolutely is, and uh, you know what, what made me so proud from that night uh, is the fact that uh, our team. Uh, you know, in my book, I talk about uh, that we had a lot of controversy you know, in the season, and our team chemistry was damaged early on, but with uh, a lot of hard work and determination, and uh, we really got it going in the right direction. And what made me so proud? Uh, two things that jumped out at me that night was number one, that when Jason got in the game. The players knew there was a chance he could get in, but they, I had never asked him to, uh, to pass him the ball yet. He was the only one that shot in the last four minutes. And then the other thing that uh, touched me deeply was uh, I didn't really get it that much at the game because I was uh, choked up and teary-eyed. But uh, when I watched the video the next day to see how his teammates on the bench were reacting, just uh, to me it was the ultimate essence of what a team should be. I think that's I, I I love this story. I loved it when I first heard it, and I, it's just such a great story. So, what's your mission in life? My mission is to be an outstanding role model that makes a positive difference in the world by helping others make their dreams come true. Well, that's a pretty good mission. How are you doing no, with it? You. I think I'm doing well. I mean, it's it's a constant challenge, and uh, you know, one of the things I take a lot of pride is my own personal growth. I I read a lot and listen to a lot of tapes and always trying to improve, and, and what I learn, I try to pass on to my family and, and certainly my players. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a constant challenge, but something that uh, I, I'm proud that I think I'm making uh, the right direction in it. I, just, a, just a question, just for my own edification. My son goes to um, George Washington University um, in Washington, D.C., and right. every time I meet him and his friends, I am really impressed the current generation. I think they're a really decent, in the main, a really decent bunch of people, and I sort of feel good about leaving the world in their hands. Do you do you share that view? Do you think that kids today are more considerate, more sympathetic, more empathetic than uh, perhaps we were? 
You know, I, I think there's a growth that with that, and I think a lot of it has it because uh, we've done so much more with inclusion in education, which I think has been a positive. Uh, it certainly brings us challenges, but I think kids are more exposed uh, to people with disabilities than they ever had, and I think that brings out the best of them. And uh, ironically, uh, my son just graduated from the University of Maryland, and uh, he's coming out your way. He's actually going to Pepperdine Law School. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Pepperdine's just up the road. Yeah, yeah. So, how did you make the transition into your speaking career? Just people well, it, it, yeah, it was uh, initially it was uh, thrust upon me because the story was so popular that you know people started contacting me. Can you come in and share the story? And uh, my evolution was uh, was at the first few speeches I. Uh, you know, I was real proud to share the story, but then I wanted to leave a lasting impact with my audiences. So what I developed is uh, through my own personal development, I, I uh, put in six keys to making your dreams come true. So in my talks now, I not only share the story, but I talk about how to make your dreams come true. And in that, I talk about uh, have, you know finding your passion and developing your mission and being a goal setter. And we talk some about goal setting and then perseverance, which I think is the essence is you Absolutely. can't give up. And uh, and then I, I call it carpe diem, which I break into a work ethic and having a positive attitude, you know, the ability to seize every day. And then uh, putting it all together is I think you got to be a team player. You, gotta, you have to work with others. And uh, when you put that all together, uh, you got a great chance to make your dreams come true. So you get a team of kids together, um, first meeting of the year, first time they've all sort of got together. How do you motivate them? What do you, What's the first step in, in turning them into winners and and people that want to be a great team i think the first thing is you got to create the vision of where you want to go uh and painting that picture uh consistently every day you know that uh you know what we're all about you know that we're going to be uh tremendous people on and off the court uh that we have a a a purpose and that is that we're going to play as a team you know uh, being a team is not negotiable that that's uh, a necessity and, you know, to be able to see that process of developing, uh, you know, on and off the court. And then, you know, certainly, uh, you know, you're setting your goals. And, and, you know, at our program, we're always looking to try to win a championship. And, uh, uh, you know, so we, we, you know, have set the bar high and we continue to try to raise the bar. Great. So what's next for Jim Johnson? What's next is I, I'm still coaching and teaching. I still enjoy immensely. Uh, I'm probably going to do that for a couple more years, and then I'd, I'd like to speak full-time. I absolutely love speaking, and I'd like to uh, you know, do more workshops of leadership, uh, passion. And uh, I've written one book, A Coach and a Miracle, and I, uh, I, I think I'd like to write another book about mentoring. And the other thing, because I was so touched by Jason, is that I, I really would like to uh, start a foundation with autism. In fact, I just... Uh, joined uh, an autism organization um, out in the Midwest. I'm going to be on their board of directors. and uh, So I want to give back uh, and, and try to find a, uh, help find a cure for autism. Okay, tell us about your book. Final question. Give us a plug for your book. Uh, my book is uh, basically what I did is I wrote it uh, with a co-author. and our, My co-author, ironically, I went to high school with, and he has two sons on the autism spectrum. And 
we, we really put our heart and soul in, and what we did was we wanted to make it an evergreen book with the fact that it was a life lessons book. So what, sure. what I took is the uh, principles of, uh, of my keynote, and we added a couple more and, and made them into chapters, and, and certainly weave the story of what happened and, and you know some background about the season, but also talk about you know my philosophy. And uh, I really wanted to make it a, a book that can help people that they can take away something special to inspire them, but also give them tangible items. I have uh, questions at the end of each chapter uh, uh, to get them thinking, uh, you know, how to find your passion, how to discover your mission, and, that, and so forth. Fantastic. Well, Jim, thanks very much for coming on the Bob Pritchard Show. I really appreciate it, and I wish you every success for the future. I reckon the world would be a hell of a better place if they had a lot more Jim Johnsons. So if you'd like to contact Jim, perhaps to get him to speak at your next conference, you can contact him at coachjimjohnson.com. That's coachjimjohnson.com. And I'll be back after this short break. Thanks, Matt. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we speak to an expert in the entertainment business who has a unique and extremely interesting profession. Now, we're all familiar in the film business with actors and producers and writers and other well-known roles. But the other day, I spent some time with an armorer, a fascinating guy who has a critical role in movies and in television. Now, I didn't know such a thing existed, but I'm sure you've seen the promos for the new television series, Stars Earn Stripes, and Mike's currently working on that. In fact, Mike Tristano is a legendary figure in the industry. Mike is a former private sector special ops advisor, and he specialises in providing weaponry, special effects, and militaria for the film industry. I love his business card. His business card's great. It simply says, Mike Tristano, the gun guy. I mean, that's... <laughs> I love it. It's great. Now, I had no idea, as I mentioned, that such a person or a role existed. However, when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. It takes a real expert a committed professional to source and often make the weapons that are used in movies ranging from the Middle Ages through the pirate ship era and war films, all the action films, right through to the futuristic weapons that we see in all the science fiction movies. And, of course, the role also includes training actors to use these weapons. This is why we don't have dead actors lying all over sets. And this is where Mike comes in. Mike's the only true non-union supplier of movie weaponry and armourer services, historic and military props and make-up effects for films and for the major studios. Now, after a shadowy career in military intelligence, and when you see this guy, you can believe this. You can just imagine him as a spook, you know, lurking around the back streets of, I don't know, some foreign exotic place. Um... Mike entered the movie business after he got tired of all that and has probably trained and worked on the set with over half the actors and actresses in Hollywood. In 1990, Mike also began writing, directing and producing. Since then, he's continued writing and directing action films that push the boundaries of violence, war and sex. I told you this was an interesting guy. He's also acted in more than 20 movies as well as being an award-winning miniature painter and model maker, and he was personal security consultant to Senator Al Gore when he ran for election. Now, in his office, his office is really cool. He's got this amazing collection of really spooky shit, and he's got one of the finest weapons collections around. Mike, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I'm glad you're a friend. I'd hate to have you as an enemy. <laughs> be the worst I'm glad guy. to be here, Bob. <laughs> so. What exactly is the role of an armorer in movies and TV? Well, what an armorer does is he basically is responsible for handling all of the weapons work for the movie. Um, if I'm taking on a job, I would uh, you know, meet with the director first. I would see what his vision of the film is regarding the weaponry. Um, then I would talk to him about the actors, how he wants them trained, what their roles are, what the characters are and sort of even match the guns to the characters sometimes. Oh, okay. So there's a lot of consulting involved as well. You know, and then from there I would take it to train the actors and then get all the guns arranged for the filming. So how does one become an armorer? Is it, was it the special ops training that sort of made you qualified for this, or was it just you've always had a fascination for guns since you were a little kid, or 
what, what, how do you become an armorer? Well, you know, I don't think anybody just kind of um, goes into it, you know, starts out thinking, I want to be an armorer, although it, it may be, that may be the case these days. Most of, of us who have been in it for a while, and there's not that, that many of us to begin with, yeah. um, I mean, I fell into it because my father was in, he, 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 he was actually a very decorated World War II veteran, uh, so I was exposed to guns at an early age. And then after working for the government for a certain amount of time, when you come out and you start working for the private sector, after that, this you know, you're not going to be getting a job at Walmart. <laughs> you know, there's only so many things you can do. You know, IBM won't be hiring you unless it's to run their security or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> so and I always like working for myself. I like being self-employed. And uh, it's just something I kind of fell into. I think it's, I think it's great. Uh, so... What's it like to work with some of Hollywood's top actors and actresses? You know, many of them are a little precious. So how difficult is it to teach them how to look convincing? You know, it's every situation is different and dealing with every actor and actress is different. But, you know, for the most part, most of them are really great. And even the ones who haven't been exposed to firearms a lot, mm. once they start shooting, yeah. they get really into it. In fact, a lot of them... By the end of the show, they're asking me, well, when are we going to go buy a gun together? You know, it's, it's really it's interesting to see the change in them from the beginning to the end of a, of a film project. That's all America needs, more guns. <laughs> so, well, okay. one can never have too many guns, I always say. <laughs> okay, so how does a Brandon Lee thing happen? I mean, what, how, how, does, how does somebody get shot with a real bullet on a film set? How does that happen? That, that's that's an excellent question, and that something like that happens when they don't when a company doesn't really have a professional armor on the set. Um, there are prop people, you know, prop masters that yeah. also do guns and prop assistants. In the case of the Brandon Lee uh, incident, it was, that was um, there was not a professional armor on the set that day, and um, the gun had been used prior to that to do some live fire. And from what I understand, a bullet head had lodged in one of the cylinders of the weapon. Nobody really checked it. Like, I mean, we're meticulous about how we check weapons on a set. We constantly check weapons for any kind of malfunction or problem they may have or anything jammed in the barrel of the cylinder of the weapon. Nobody checked the gun in this case. And when you put a blank behind a bullet head that you don't see is in there, you've created a bullet. Wow. Okay. Now, the other thing is that whenever we're setting up a shot, even though it looks like a gun is pointing directly at an actor or an actress when it's being fired in a scene, it mm -hmm. never is. gun is always off angle, but from the camera's view, you can't tell that it is. But that's just an extra safety precaution that we take to make sure nothing ever happens to any of the talent or the crew on a set. Obviously, that day that wasn't taken because the weapon was pointing right at Mr. Lee when he got shot. Yeah, but if you look at a lot of movie scenes, like I'm thinking about, say, Pulp Fiction, there are people running around everywhere and, and diving behind couches and firing stuff everywhere. You know, there's, there's ten people in shot all madly firing at each other. How do you control a situation like that? That's all the choreography. I mean, that's part of what we do with the director and the camera people. It's all a matter of rehearsing all that so that everybody knows exactly where they're firing and when. We give the marks that are off-camera off screen so oh, that really? they, okay. they know where they're firing, even though it's blanks, obviously. We still want to keep it 
very safe. That's always our first consideration. Mm. So we give everybody marks. They have marks of where they're going to be standing, where they're going to be firing, the timing if somebody's running past them, that the gun's not pointed at that person. So there's a lot of choreography involved with doing scenes like Quentin does. Yeah, well, if you... Because even if you give people marks off camera, I mean, if you've ever been down to um, Santa Monica Pier and tried to shoot those bloody ducks that go across the thing, you know, it's pretty hard to fire straight. So you've got a whole bunch of actors with shit going on everywhere and they're firing madly. (laughs) I don't care whether he's got a mark or not. The chances are he ain't going to hit it. Well, he may not hit the mark, but the main thing is that if if something was ever to come out of that gun, at least he doesn't hit another actor. <laughs> we don't grade them on their accuracy that much, but we grade them on their safety. <laughs> now, you've been a real special ops guy in the in the real world um, with real spooks. So, how much different is real life gunplay to what you'd see in a movie? I mean, is that the way? It would have happened with Al Capone bursting into a bar, or is it just sort of manufactured imagery for our um, education and edification? Well, a lot depends on the director's vision, too, how realistic he wants it to be. A lot of directors want it to be more surreal, and then some want that real gritty realism. So we have to kind of accommodate their wishes first. Mike thing is always to push them toward doing something that is the most realistic on camera. Yeah. You know, if the gun only has six rounds in it and an actor's firing, you know, 20 rounds out of a six-round revolver, it, that upsets me. Yeah. So I try to make it as realistic as possible. And then you also have actors that are very meticulous about the realism. Yeah, so I, I wonder you know, how you're many... dealing with different groups there. How many directors have actually been in a gunfight to know what the hell happens in a gunfight? <laughs> not, too, not, not too many, Bob. Not too many. <laughs> so what kind of weapons are used on, on movie and TV sets? Are they real weapons or are they pretend weapons or, or what are they? Well, we actually have three types of weapons. We have the real weapons, which are the ones that fire blanks. Now, they're, they're real firearms that have been what we call blank adapted. So they're right. set up to fire blanks yep. only. Anything that's a semi-automatic or an automatic weapon has to be blank adapted because blanks won't cycle through a, a normal weapon. The, okay. the, the, uh, the barrel has to be restricted, the springs changed out, things like that to make it suitable to be, uh, you know, to fire blanks reliably. Right. Then we have replica weapons, which, which we use in the scenes when the guns aren't firing at all. Yeah. And then for stunt work, we have rubber guns. So if stunt guys are, you know, falling off of buildings or, or they're, you know, crashing in cars, the weapons don't get destroyed. Okay. You were telling me the other day when we were sitting around in, in your office that, um, you actually make a lot of weapons for, I guess if, you, if you're doing a medieval scene or a pirate scene, um, there's not a lot of the original weapons around, I guess. Right. Um, I mean, you know, for modern weapons, obviously, that's stuff I can go out and purchase with the licenses I have. Yeah. And I have a, a large collection of antique weapons from, well, let's say, the uh, you know the Flintlock era, the American Revolution, sure. French and Indian yeah. War on. But when you get to, to, an, to, to earlier historical eras, like the pirate era, like you were saying, and the medieval world, there's not many of those still around that would be functional or even safe to use on a set. So in that sense, we have to reconstruct them um, so that we have weapons that look good that are still historically accurate. 
and that's one of the things we do. Yeah. So what are the dangers involved with, well, two questions. What are the dangers involved with working with all these different types of weapons? And how do you get insurance? Does the studio get the insurance or do you have to carry insurance? How does that work? We both actually have to carry insurance. We have regular business insurance, but for every different... <laughs> it's hardly uh, a regular business. <laughs> well, it, it, well, when I say regular business, I mean like, you know, it's special special insurance, but it's still something that's not what the studios get. But then we have their overlapping coverage also. Yeah. So because you have to be so insured up for this, as you said, there's a lot of, you know, there is a lot of liability here. And, and there is inherent danger with having any weapon on a set, but it's it's a matter of controlling it safely and making sure everybody knows what it's capable of, even though it's firing blanks. Blanks can still kill you at very close range. Sure. So we really are on the safety aspect of this all the time when we're on the set. And most of the crew that you know have worked with weapons, they're used to what we do. Yeah. And, okay. and really, most of the actors were really great about it. Who, who adapts best to using weapons in fight scenes and things, men or women? You know what? I find that once you teach women to shoot and use weapons, they're actually better at it than men. Yeah, they just pretend it's their last boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) I I usually, you know what? I haven't put any targets of old boyfriends up at the range for them, but uh, but that's not a bad idea now that I think about it. Um, But you know what? Women have an ability, and they have an innate ability to use weaponry very well once they relax and they, they get used to the weapon and they find that it can be fun to shoot. Yeah. I've seen Angelina Jolie looking pretty handy a few times. She looks good doing anything she's doing. Yes, that's true. So what does yeah. the, the future of the business look like from, from your perspective? You know, I think we see, you know, now we're seeing a lot of computer graphics um, yeah. work coming into firearm stuff where people put the gun flashes in in post. But most of the actors out there still like the the, the, the real feel of a blank firing weapon in their hands. It's very hard to... You know, to have a plastic gun in your in your hand and make a make it feel real when you're doing an action sequence. Sure, sure. So I think you have one school that goes to thinking that maybe CGI is better, but you have a lot of directors and actors that still like the real thing, and it, nothing looks better than the real thing. Let's face it. I agree, Mike. Thanks very much for giving up your time to be on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I know I know how busy you are. I experienced it firsthand the other day, and I reckon you've got the best job on the planet. I mean, you get to play cops and robbers forever, full time. I mean, you never have to grow up. It's what a fabulous job that is. I I love doing what I do. I don't intend to ever grow up. It's the yeah. best thing around. It is. Well, I thank agree. You very much. This was really great. Pleasure. Now, if you'd like to know more about Mike. His website is moviegunguy.com. Incidentally, if you're out there listening to this program and you're looking for a fabulous graphic artist, Mike's wife, Leslie, does my work for me, and she is fantastic. And if you'd like to know more about that or like me to put her on to her, please contact me. Just give me a, drop me a note at bob at bobpritchard.com, and I would be thrilled to put you in touch with her. I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show after this short break. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network 
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is a straight-talking show for entrepreneurs coming to you from my hometown of Los Angeles, which is stifling hot. At least the Olympics are finally over, so now we can get back to doing what we're supposed to be doing at night, working. (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but I seem to be working longer hours. Business is good, but... Gee, you seem to work longer and longer hours and uh, many, many nights of still slaving away at 10, 11, 12, 1. And uh, if you didn't love it, you wouldn't do it. Now, I've got a solution for you if you're feeling tired and jaded and not as creative as you think you could be and worrying so much about running your business that you get less creative. Go to Disneyland. <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, but forget about your business. Go down to Disneyland and have a look at how some of the most creative people on the planet manage to combine being creative with being sensational at doing business. I went down there on Sunday for the zillionth time without kids, and I found it really inspiring. Um, even my son Hunter, who's studying business at George Washington University and is pretty creative, said to me, Oh, Dad, why the hell would you go to Disneyland? Well, if you haven't been lately, go with a clear mind and look at how well they provide creativity, fantastic customer service, and, you know, they empty every single dollar out of your pocket and you still walk out of there feeling good. I mean, that's the perfect business. Now, we really appreciate all the emails that you send us week, each week and the great ideas that you tell us about. We do our best to answer them. I'm running out of time frantically. My producer's sitting there saying, hurry up, mate. So, you know, 90% of the work that I do apart from this radio program and giving speeches is with entrepreneurs and early stage companies. That's one reason that I really love this email segment. It doesn't matter whether you're a plumber or have a technology company, whether you're in the US or the UK or Australia or in India or where the hell you are, we all have the same issues and this is borne out by your emails. I'm going to do one email. I think that's all I'm going to get to. The first email 
is from Margaret Kellogg from Janesville, Wisconsin. Margaret writes, Dear Bob, I have a small retail store and it seems that more and more of my customers are buying off the web. What can I do? Do you think that traditional retail is dying? Well, thanks for your question, Margaret. A lot of people worried about that. The key to the success of any business is customer service, as I mentioned earlier, whether you're online or offline. While training your staff and yourself on how to provide great customer service, that's always been important. It's now more important than ever for bricks and mortar retailers. E-commerce has put real pressure on you guys, but particularly those who have not taken the time to learn about merchandising, display, music, lighting, and all the other things that can really affect retail performance. You know, customer service, as I mentioned earlier, is not just a sweet smile and do you want this or do you want that. It is about real service, providing great advice, going that extra mile for the customer. There's a whole range of things. And most people in retail do not realise that men and women behave differently in stores. Different age group behave differently in stores. Um, Different age group you know, music moves them differently. Uh, playing music can can increase sales quite markedly. Playing French music will increase sale of French wines and so on and so on. I uh, gave a speech with a guy not long ago in Germany who is a retail behavioural specialist and he can take one look at a customer walking into a store and he knows whether he's going to turn left or right, how far down an aisle he's going to go, which which shelf he's going to buy at, He knows everything about that customer just by looking at him walk into the store. Now, that's the sort of knowledge that you need to be able to be successful at retail. And unfortunately, most retailers don't take the time to learn that stuff. Now, remember, the Bob Pritchard Show, we're here to help small business like yours to succeed. If you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, Please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Feedback's terrific. So thanks for listening this week. Send in your questions, your email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Google+. Plus. Until next time, have a fantastic and successful week and let's kick some butt. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life. Thanks again.